Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes of soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 83. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Patrick Swayze's mullet, Joe Dirt's school of positive thinking, and the two-hour stress test that was Uncut Gems. I appreciate that movie. Also, a hard no to ever seeing it again. It was, like it was said, it was stressful. It's really, really stressful. Uh, why don't I don't want to go to a movie to be stressed out? I want to go to a movie to be entertained. I mean, thrillers are stressful, but like they usually pay off. That movie was just one long, like, grip your nails into, you know, the little cup holders in your movie seat. Didn't like it. Wow, this is the longest I've ranted on uh, on a random heavy topic. So interesting. But uh, no quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observation. I just ate a sweet potato, and every time I do eat a sweet potato, I get upset that I wasn't introduced to them to them till like my early 20s, because I was a fat kid when I was younger, and you know I love potatoes, because everyone loves potatoes, like french fries, baked potatoes with all that good stuff on it, potatoes au gratin, there's all this good stuff, but like there was a healthier, more delicious option that I could throw into a microwave for six minutes and just demolish, just easy. Like, what the hell, childhood? It's unfair. But then you get into the weird kind of thinking about life-changing decisions you made when you were younger, and you end up in this two-hour thought roller coaster about what would have happened if you joined the chess team in ninth grade, or if like you didn't ask this girl out and weren't humiliated, or I don't know. It's just it's useless, but it's addictive, and it happens. Like sweet potatoes, I'm still upset. Even though, I mean, who cares if I didn't eat sweet potatoes when I was younger? I mean, I'm now and I'm enjoying them, but I'm still like, damn it. Nine-year-old Max needed more sweet potatoes in his life. His life would have been different. And the same for avocados. Like I didn't try one of those, uh, like they, they have good fat, right? Yeah. One of those good fat kind of uh, bad boys till college. And now they are a top five food for me. And in contrast, my four-month-old nephew, Jake, hi, Jake, uh, just had had an avocado as his first solid food. Like, my God, I'm just, I'm annoyed. Like the arrogance of that kid. Like he gets to start off with avocados while I was so late in life. I'm so, it's such a weird ego trip, (laughs) but it's like, it's still, I feel like heartbreak. And I don't know, like life kind of, life is sad because I didn't have an avocado until much later. It's like a hundred foot tsunami of sad vibes. Like I'll never get over it. And thus is the life of a carefree pixie winged bartender who skips through life with low hurdles of a life unexamined. That's me <laughs> complaining about avocados and sweet potatoes. And, you know, this is I mean, it's kind of fun to say out loud because it's like these are my main problems that I'm annoyed that seven, eight year old me didn't have guacamole. So I guess that's I guess that's where I'm at right now. Or maybe I'm losing my mind because I mean this seems like an unspooling of sanity right here. Just potato criticisms. <laughs> that's what you get here at Max Volume, potato criticisms and you know fruit critiques. But these are the stakes that we're dealing with. So cuz I like I do love the day-to-day shower thoughts that just burrow into my noodle and make camp somewhere near my brainstem. So that brings me to today's topic. I've been thinking about a certain actor for about a week or so now. I like when a topic kind of stews in my brain for a little bit, like it gets going like a gumbo. Like no one likes a good soup that's been stewing for 20 minutes. You want like three days of it, like all the flavors mixing together. So over the past week, I've been watching like 10 minute clips of his documentary, YouTube clips of his uh, comedy hours, 
watching him and his best scenes as a therapist, a crossdresser, a delinquent children's TV performer, an alien, a robot, a doctor, a faceless voice in the future of a game, a teacher, a genie, a lost boy, and an Amazonian. He's the man of a thousand voices and a million faces. We are talking Robin Williams today. So he, I, I looked at his IMDb because I was kind of curious, and it's one of the strangest disjointed careers of any A-lister. I guess, I mean, he's quoted as saying, cocaine is God's way of telling you you have too much money. So clearly he had some issues, you know, on the side. And who knows, you know, I mean, he, he seemed like he had a little bit of a strange childhood too. So who knows what was going on in his head and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's he did so many movies and so many like roles and one-offs i think he's in 110 credits and like he always did multiple movies per year and i don't know it's just it, i, I kind of want to go through his you know career and break it down so like let's talk about him first 10,000 foot picture of robin williams so he's a physical comedy titan who was classically trained in acting at juilliard juilliard for you those of you who don't know is like the harvard of acting schools so it's not like for like slapstick comedy or I mean, i'm sure they have comedy classes but it's more for like shakespearean serious actors you know it's like it's the ultimate mic drop and with his movies even though he was really funny he went way too emotional and sappy at times and other times you could play serial killers with frightening accuracy but we didn't really want to see that you know you don't want to see uh like goofy from disney being in mind hunter that's a little weird but other movies, he could also be the kindest man you ever saw on screen. But first, let's start with the 104 mile per hour fastball that he had in his arsenal, the comedy. He is undoubtedly the most gifted comedian of the modern age. He's one of those rare talents that burns so bright when he performs that playing a role as someone other than Robin Williams is difficult for the audience to comprehend. I put him in the same category as Charlie Chaplin, Groucho Marx. Jerry Lewis, even though I don't, I don't like Jerry Lewis, but I understand, you know, he was just so him that he couldn't be anything else. So it's almost a burden. It's like that crushing 10,000 pound boulder of being such a vibrant comedic genius. His energy, his physical movement, the elasticity, intensity, and variety in his voice. It's like watching 13 separate personalities have a, heat, a heated argument on stage about who gets to be behind the steering wheel. I mean, he literally is like, the human embodiment of like split personality syndrome when he's on stage. He's just wheeling, dealing, mile a minute. You don't know who's going to be talking next, but it's something that's going on. There's a battle going on in his brain. So I grew up on Nick at Night reruns. So I would perch myself on the edge of my parents' bed in this weird ass in the air, face turned sideways on the bed, downward dog position. I guess downward dog is like a yoga position. And I'd watch hour after hour of Mork and Mindy. So for those uninformed, the show ran from 1978 to 1982 and was essentially a showcase of Robin Williams' comedic skill set. He was a fish out of water alien living on planet Earth and learning about our culture and societal norms the way a three-year-old would, and it was the perfect vehicle for him. He would stick his fingers in electrical sockets while wearing funny hats and rainbow suspenders. He was in good shape, too, actually. He was kind of ripped for Robin Williams. It's weird. And he would have these out loud battles with his emotions and the spastic sing-song voice. It was magical. Like you knew you were seeing once in a lifetime greatness pouring out of your television at television screen. And it's like, you needed to watch five seconds of it and you got it. You're like, okay, this guy's going to be here forever in my life. But like I said, uh, his talent uh, oftentimes feels constrained in acting, acting roles because what's more enjoyable than Robin Williams acting like himself, like nothing, zero zip bupkis. Like that's, 
I'd rather see Robin Williams. If you ask me what my favorite role of Robin Williams is, it's just him being Robin Williams, uh, like on a, you know, improv set. So he had a very hit or miss 1980s with bombs like The Best of Times, Club Paradise, and Seize the Day, two of which I don't, I didn't even know existed till today and I did the research. And he also showed he could play the straight man, like the inspiring, well-intentioned, do-gooder English teacher in Dead Poet Society. Like, oh, captain, my captain. That was really good, too. It was heartfelt. And, you know, he was, like, passionate about poetry. And you kind of forgot he was, like, a comedic He'd, like, break out, like, the John Wayne impression for a second. You're like, oh, yeah, he's really funny. I forgot about that. Like, he was just a kind guy in a tweed jacket who was trying to inspire young men to, you know, suck the bone marrow of life, as Henry David Thoreau would say. But I have this theory, also, that his character in Goodwill Hunting as a psychologist, uh, his role in Dead Poet Society was the same guy before his wife died because they seem somehow linked. Like there's this kindness and wanting to help and heal and also having internal pain. Like I'll never be convinced otherwise that those two aren't the same character. I just love stuff like that. Like Scott Glenn in uh, Apocalypse Now as the kind of zealot of uh, Marlon Brando. Uh, I think Chris Ryan on The Ringer said that he came back from Vietnam and became the drug dealer uh, former cop in training day. Like, I love stuff like that when you can connect roles through people. Maybe I'll do that one day. Like, what roles, uh, what two roles were the same person but in different movies? Uh, that's for another day, though. But back to Rob Williams. So, his best work came in the 90s. So, he had roles in these absurdist fantasies that allowed him to simultaneously show him as an improv- improvising comedy genius and also a man desperate to love and please those around him. So this is the peak of his career in 91 to 93. It's probably like, it's probably one of the best peaks of anybody. So he rattled off Hook, Aladdin, and Mrs. Doubtfire in a three-year period or two-year period, I guess. And all the roles were great for very different reasons. Hook was so fun because he played the first 40 minutes as a straight-laced normal dad before unleashing the inner child flash grenade of Peter Pan. He's the only adult man in human history who is believable flying in green tights while screaming at the top of his lungs and, you know, like battling pirates with children. (laughs) And watching the transformation during the film gave you this incredible spectrum of emotions that Williams can convey. So, and then you had his best role in my, or at least my personal personal favorite, the larger than life genie in Disney's Aladdin. So it was finally the perfect use of Robin Williams' talents. Like his unrelenting energy and creativity finally could be physically matched as the genie could conjure any prop, melt his face into any celebrity for impression. I love when he's just Jack Nicholson. He's like, if you want to get the girl, you got to be a straight shooter. He's got like the glasses and like the eyebrows up. Or, I mean, they could conjure anything about like anything Williams improved in the, uh, in the box, they could create uh, ceaselessly, I mean, like seamlessly into animated existence. So Bold but factual statement, Genie is the greatest Disney character ever created from a sheer entertainment standpoint. No one comes close in terms of energy, joy, and last per second than 10-foot-tall, magically-powered Robin Williams. That's just the all-timer. It's just There's nothing else even close. Like No one else has been destined to be an animated character more so than Robin Williams. Then somehow he changed gears while still ma- maintaining the funny in Mrs. Doubtfire, a sweet and emotional movie that really talks about divorce and it kind of surprisingly hits a lot of drama checkpoints for a movie that primarily is about Robin Williams in drag as a 60 year old British nanny. It's just so jarring when Williams can turn on, turn turn on a dime and go from slapstick to heartfelt emotion. And this really plays with that contrast. So Miss Doubtfire is a great movie. Love it. 
And there's something very comforting and knowing about Robin Williams when he turns on that fatherly advice hyperdrive. Like all the eccentric, how do I say this? Eccentricity? All the craziness, <laughs> there you go, melts away and he can calmly get to the heart of a very deep emotional issue with this kind of soothing baritone and squinty soft eyes and kind of that worn, loving nose. Like, I think, I forget what movie it is. Someone grabs his nose and I'm like, that's a, that's a, that's a father's nose. So he's just got a very like loving face. And he does so many movies in the nineties. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, from the 1980 to nine to 2000, he's just, three or four, maybe sometimes five movies a year. It's crazy. So it's difficult to keep track with weird swings and misses like Jack, where he plays an overgrown kid. Like he's like 10 years old emotionally, but he's 40 looking. That's a really weird and kind of sad movie. And Father's Day, which was a real miss with, it was him and Billy Crystal as I think father and stepfather of this kid. They're chasing around California. And it really, it's really more of a sad movie and they're not very funny. And it's like, why did you make this? Like you're both great and funny. Like just be funny together. But he also had monster smashes like Jumanji and the Birdcage. But finally, he gets the perfect serious role as the emotionally defeated psychologist Sean in Goodwill Hunting. So this is his I'm a serious actor who is far more than a physical comedian role. He is kind, timid. He's kind of hidden away from the world due to the, due to the pain in his life. His wife died pretty excruciatingly of cancer. But he's charming and he's unrelentingly helpful in how he deals with Will Hunting and kind of gets him on the straight and narrow. And also, I think he learned something about himself. Like, you're not expecting the teacher to learn something. And it's like, it's like John Lithgow in Footloose. Like, you're not expecting the older character to learn a new trick, but they do. I, just loved, I, I love mentioning John Lithgow in Footloose like, all the time. Like, that role, like, rocked my world. I watched it, like, three months ago for the first time. And I was like, this, this is an all-time role. But anyways, back to Robin Williams, not John Lithgow. This is not a John Lithgow podcast. Although, Dexter did get re re-upped to come back so maybe the trinity killer will come back even though i think he's dead but yeah dexter ended so badly that was like the worst ending to any show ever so hopefully they can do it right this time and the last like five seasons were garbage so no more no more dexter no more murder rob williams so rob williams goodwill hunting and in this role i saw rob williams kind of had a downshifted comedic delivery which was rare and you know, I hadn't seen that before in him. He's usually just uh, kind of mild, uh, like a rapid fire kind of a, co- a comedian, but he can be serious and focused and quietly funny in small moments. And it was a pleasure to see him laugh about his late wife's propensity to fart in her sleep and tell, saying to Will that like, these are the idiosyncrasies and like little things that you love about the person that you care about. Or his retelling of the 1978 Carlton Fisk game. That was really funny, but it was like, it was like your friend was telling you. It wasn't like Robin Williams, the ultimate performer was telling you. It was just like just this, old man who was just telling a baseball story he just felt felt real and he felt like a believable grounded human person which is weird because normally you see robin williams you're like oh my god it's robin williams like when is he going to start yelling screaming doing impressions flailing around the room when is that happening you're just you're waiting for bruce wayne to put on the batman suit but uh like i said in this movie he wasn't robin williams he was sean the community college professor and he won the oscar for best supporting actor and you would think his career would have gone off into the stratosphere afterwards but he had the same 80s and 90s struggles of hits and misses right up until his death in 2014. He had heavy dramas that are too emotionally sappy, like What Dreams May Come, which is a really weird movie. Patch Adams, super, like he's trying to make dying kids happy, but like the kids are still dying. It's, it's just a, it's a drag of a movie. You're like, 
okay, I mean, you got a little red ball in your nose and that kid still got bone cancer and is like being torn up from the inside out. Like, it's not fun to watch. And there was, a, there was a twist in that movie too that was just brutal at the end. And you didn't see it coming. You're like, oh man, it got sadder? Like, it didn't need to get sad. It was already really sad. I guess it's a true story. So, I mean, I guess they kept to the original plot. And then there's Bicent- Bicentennial Man, which shouldn't work, but I love that movie for some reason. He's a robot that lives for 200 years and kind of becomes human. And, you know, finds love and, you know, experiences life. I love movies for some reason where a robot or a life form lives multiple generations and kind of understands life through a longer lens than us. It just gets me. I don't know what it is, but I love that movie. And so did my friend Lee Fogel in high school. So if Lee, if you ever listen to this, I know you love this movie and I love it too. And I love you. So I hope you're doing well. So he does other movies like he does convincing serial killer stints on Law and Order and in One Hour Photo, but no one wants to see Mickey Mouse star in, you know, psycho killer movies. Like it's upsetting. It breaks the laws of nature. So our brains will never accept it. He did some corn cornball B movies like Man of the Year, RV, Old Dogs, and World's Greatest Dad. Like the last great performance he really did was 2002's Death to Smoochie, where he plays a disgraced child TV star, Rainbow Randolph. But even that didn't feel like a role. It was basically just a dark comedy version of a dialed-up stand-up Robin Williams. And I think that's the legacy he's going to leave behind. Someone too talented to who burned too brightly for us to ever see him as anything but Robin Williams. I think to a slightly lesser degree, Jim Carrey has a syndrome. And I'm endlessly curious what it's like to be someone who's so good at being entertaining when they're being silly, that the world won't fully accept them when they're attempting anything else. Because people want to grow, people want to change, people want to try new things. And everyone's like, play the hits, do it. You know, play play that play that song from 10 years ago. That's all I want to hear. It's like, do you want to hear some of my new stuff? I've grown as a person. Like, shut up and be silly, flail around on stage. Like, I can't imagine the psychological toll when you're just trying to create art and everyone wants you to improv and make a funny rubber face for the camera. So props to him for dealing with that so thank you robin williams you truly made the world a more interesting and joyous place on your too brief time on this planet he wasn't afraid to delve into every type of hollywood role and i really respect him for that and remember this is a guy who could have stood on stage and been like hey i'm robin williams and this is me and i'm just gonna talk he could have done that for 40 years and we would have laughed it up and probably like worshipped him to a higher extent so it was a bold and daring way to spend a career so thanks for being an explorer robin later